Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, Nebraska Extension Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to discuss a couple of research studies that were recently done at Kansas State University looking at growing calf performance, both in a dry lot feed yard scenario, as well as one for cattle out grazing. And we're going to talk about two studies that you were involved with, Dr. Blasey. Uh, the first one we dive into, let's talk about a research study you did looking at limit feeding calves, a growing diet, or comparing that to what we would think about a more traditional background in growing diet, a high roughage diet. Uh, share with us just a little more about this study and what you were trying to find out. Well, good morning, Aaron. It's it's always good to to get back to my alma mater and say hello to everybody out in your neck of the woods. I'm happy to basically share some of the stuff uh, that we uh, conducted here. A couple years ago, we wanted to look at limit feeding with regards to how beef calves performed when feeding in the morning and at night during uh, oh, about the middle of January through March. It was a, a 77 day study. So we set this study up the middle of, of January and and looking back, I wish we would have initiated this shortly after Christmas, but logistics at the university, especially with students gone for holidays and stuff, and actually receiving calves at that time, really precluded us from getting uh, receiving the calves much sooner. But there's a lot of great work out of South Dakota. Uh, Robbie Pritchard has done some wonderful stuff looking at AM versus PM feeding. And they saw an incredible response by shifting the time of feeding and leveraging the the fermentation that arises six to eight hours post eating in terms of providing heat and actually reducing the maintenance needs for these calves. And so we took this project on looking at that. And, you know, again, maintenance requirements, they account for a significant amount of dry matter intake and use. And uh, I, as I said, the shifting the time of feeding tends to show improvements in feed efficiency. And also the, the visits to the bunk stimulates that, that routine exercise, which provides some warming, if you will, for those calves. So, so we wanted to account for that and take a hard look at this. And as I said, we kicked the study off January 15th. Our temperatures at that time were about 15 degrees. Calves weighed about 636 pounds coming in. It was a 77-day study. And, and we did a couple different treatments, and I'll discuss that. We looked at feeding in the morning and at night. And we also split uh, with one of the treatments, feeding half and half between the morning and evening hours. And another thing we did was feeding a set of calves in the morning and then moving them into a neutral pen and bringing another set of calves in to feed them at night. So we were essentially doubling up our feeding capacity with one set of bunks. We were feeding double the number of calves using one set of bunks. And I hope everybody understands that, Aaron. So we conducted the study, and this is kind of what we did. We got our AM, PM, AM, PM, and our shuttle would keep the calves in these eight pens, the, the PM fed calves were there in the morning, they were moved. So it does take labor. And then before we got ready to feed that night, we would move out the morning fed calves and replace them with the PM fed calves to, to share that bunk. The reason we did the shuttle feeding, as we call it, is got a really good producer down in Southern Kansas. 
Years ago, he and his wife were short on funds, and they had so much money available to build a whatever it was for the number of, of bunks, the bunk space that they had. But what they were able to do was do exactly what we're doing here. And it, the infrastructure is there. You know, it takes labor. And if you're young and hungry, I think there's opportunities for young producers to try to leverage what they're able to have. The whole deal with efficiency in terms of the equipment hours, running these engines, feeding in the morning versus the night, trying to get started. And I'll tell you what, in January here in Kansas, even at the stalker unit, we had a couple days with gelled up. Even with our winter formulation of diesel, we still had problems with our skid steers and as well as our, our tractor as well. But uh, the labor is a big thing here. It's one of the big negatives, but we wanted to look at that. What we fed was basically a limit-fed diet in this fashion, using about 27% corn silage on a dry matter basis, dry-rolled corn, 40% wet corn gluten feed or sweet bran, and then, of course, we included our supplement. Long story short, over the entire 72 days, when it was all said and done, there was no difference in performance between all the treatments, the AM and the PM-fed calves. And I'll take you to this. February 19th here is uh, significant. For the 35 days leading up to February 19th, we broke out the performance of the calves for AM versus PM. And then it got obviously warmer as we moved into the spring uh, temperatures. And essentially, we lost our, our response disappeared. Uh, from what we saw the first half of the study. You know, it got fairly cold for Kansas uh, during that time. Uh, we did receive uh, moisture and it really tore up our pens, which is which is a, a negative as well. But this is what we saw through day 35. Here's our AM fed calves. They did one and a half pounds. The calves that were fed in the PM, they did 2.29 pounds. We saw a slight improvement in intake. Uh, bear in mind, they were limit fed, but we they were growing faster. And so we bumped them up as a percent of their body weight. The feed efficiency is substantial. The shuttle PM feeding at night, moving them in at night, very comparable to the PM fed calves. The calves that were split their dry matter uh, were comparable as well. Calves fed in the morning were just spot on similar with one another. Uh, are there any questions you have at this time? No, I think I think the thing that just really jumps out to me again, you break this out by the first 35 days. So you're looking at, you know, the period of time when it was cold, you had average temperatures at that time, as far as lows at night down in the teens. Uh, but you're talking about almost three quarters of a pound a day difference in right. performance based on whether those calves were fed in the morning or fed at night. And that's pretty eye-opening. Well, and I tell you, this is Kansas, and, and yes, we're in the northeastern part of the state, but up in your neck of the woods, you guys that are up further north, you know, this might be a good strategy to think about when you get into that, you know, seven-day, 10-day period of time where you can alter that time. You know, I mean, trying to start your engines up in the morning if you're not in a heated building, things just don't work well in the morning. We all know that. And diverting that to the afternoon hours when maybe you got an opportunity if you got to push snow or do something like that, that's more important on your list. Of course, feeding our cattle is important, but uh, what we've shown here is, you know, here's one strategy that can be used when we're really dealing with extreme cold temperatures. Yeah, one thing I'd like to touch on a little bit, just because the AMPM cattle, they were basically 
statistically not any different from just your strictly PM fed cattle. Correct. I guess uh, just share with us, what was the breakout of the feed delivery? Were we basically half in the AM, half in the PM, or was it a 60-40? Or... It was a 50-50. We okay. kept it pretty simple. Well, I think that's the other thing is oftentimes uh, people from a labor standpoint say, hey, I can't wait that long to deliver my whole ration. Uh, you can still get the same benefit. Uh, again, you got another load, you got another trip, but at three quarters of a pound a day, that sure may be well worth it. Exactly. And, and you know, I mean, we deal, we all have our challenges when this hard weather hits, but again, you guys that are up in, in Nebraska, when it gets severe, it gets severe. You know, as you go further north, uh, it can get pretty darn tough. And I know in visiting with our Kansas yards here, you know, their closeouts and all their projections and their estimated feed efficiencies, they really went into the tank with this significant severe weather that we've experienced. And we got to do everything we can to obviously try to keep that mud to a minimum if we can. Bedding is is important if you have that luxury. Providing a, you know, maybe on the apron of the bunk, just keeping that cleaned off so the animals have a place to lay down and just get a, a respite from the, the challenges of the pen environment. All those things, I think, good management and, you know, just diverting some of your dry matter deliveries towards the PM hours will keep that fermentation going and uh, really generate some heat for those calves. Yeah, this is a really interesting study. I think uh, nice data here. Well, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. You've also been involved with some work looking at uh, limit feeding calves, a growing diet, and also doing that in the summertime. So we're now going to shift to time of year where we're not talking about cold stress, but heat stress. But uh, seeing some interesting results from that as well, especially looking at what we would think about more of a traditional higher roughage type backgrounding growing diet versus a limit fed, a more energy dense type diet. Uh, share with us just why you did this study and, and what you found. Well, I mean, our, our approach with limit feeding, we started this and it's not a new, it's not a new technology. It's nothing that our lab has invented. It's been around since the 1980s, but it seems to really have come back in vogue in terms of Maybe from, and I, you know, the word sustainability, we hear it almost to the point where it, we get tired of hearing about the word. I mean, our producers are doing it already, but how can we best grow our calves uh, and how can we do it in a manner that it's efficient, it's profitable, and it's predictable? And, and that's why we've gone to the limit feeding. With regards to shade, I mean, just like the, the cold, severe winter weather we get, of course, it gets hot and humid as well during the summer. And, you know, there's a study that needs to be done is what we can do during the summertime to basically push most of our dry matter intake towards the evening hours when the sun goes down. And, and we need to do that. But what we did in this particular study, it was we did it for two years and we looked at the use. And these are shade structures from Nebraska. Strobel Manufacturing provided us with these shades to use. It was part of an NCBA sustainability project. So over two years, we looked at the impacts of shade looking at full feeding versus limit feeding and uh, be happy to share the results. Uh, this is really the, the bottom line of what we determined. The no shade calves did 2.83. The calves that were shaded and fed the full fed diet, you could see about a 1,500 of a pound response there. And then uh, 
you can see the average daily gain for the, the limit Fed, the 60 NEG, 285 versus 278. And really, here's where the, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding here with the feed efficiencies. With using shade and the limit fed diet, we really did a good job uh, with conversions on these calves. And, and the other thing we looked at as well was the, the water usage. We have, we have actual water meters on every pen. And so on a pen basis, we're able to calculate out the water consumption and then we did the division by the numbers of animals in each pen by treatment. And you can see that those calves that are shaded and, and fed less roughage required less water. And, you know, you guys are up there in the uh, Ogallala Aquifer. You know, I mean, it, it sifts down our direction. And water is a huge, huge issue in western Kansas. And we got to be thinking about how we can do the best we can, be it for growing crops and certainly for maintaining our animals as well. Yeah, I think a couple things we've talked about on a previous podcast, also advantage of this limit feeding, uh, you think about how much feed can you take out and deliver. So the more dense that diet is, the more you can deliver to the bunk. And then also as we think about needing to manage manure, going to have less manure with these uh, limit-fed diets as well. So there's some additional benefits beyond just uh, reduced water consumption and, and animal performance. And, you know, Aaron, we've been experiencing drought. Well, for the most part, our entire beef belt at one place or the other has. And, you know, the, the implications on number of cows that our country is supporting right now, it gets old dealing with roughage. Roughage is just simply a pain in the rear end. You know, when it, you're in a drought, you got to reach out and find it, and then you got to process it. And then you got to haul it out once it gets through the animal and is partially digested. And this whole limit feeding uh, approach is we're only using 13% prairie hay in our roughage. With the use of the corn gluten feed or the sweet bran, we're able to take out our alfalfa and basically use a grass hay at 13% of dry matter in the diet. And we've done numerous studies and we get along just perfectly fine. Well, let's switch gears. One more study I want to talk about today is a recent study you did looking at including biuret in the mineral as we think about growing cattle. This would be typical Flint Hills cattle going out to pasture there. And then you looked at a study that compared a, a control mineral product, one that had biuret in it, and then one that had biuret plus lasolid or the trade name would be Bovatec. Uh, just talk through with us what you found in that study. Uh, it was kind of an interesting study to me, some results I did not expect. We did it for two years. So we needed, you know, that's the one challenge about doing grazing studies is you need replication. And then you start inserting year variation in there and it, it really becomes a challenge. My hat's off to those people, those researchers that do a lot of grazing research because you, you just need to have a lot of replication. I don't care if you're talking about wheat pasture or doing stuff on native grass. You need to have a lot of replication to take into account the year-to-year -year variation and precept and what's being produced out there. What we, what we, you know, our thinking was was to design a, a fairly simple mineral. I mean, labor's the biggest issue we have out there in our in the country today. And if we could figure out a way for for folks as they uh, have their calves on grass, if they can have basically everything in it. 
And so we, we, we have the NPN as buyer red in there. And it's as you and I spoke, Aaron, it's very expensive. And our thinking was about midsummer when the grass quality, the protein quality in the grass goes down, we're taking care of the soluble, the, the rumen degradable aspects that can produce the, the necessary, at least give those bugs a, a fighting chance to maintain digestion in the rumen. And then as well, the ionophore, and we were hoping there would be a synergistic uh, response between the ionophore, that being Bovitec, and the NPN. And unfortunately, we did not see a response with the inclusion of the Bovitec. Yeah, what what did surprise me a little bit, to be quite candid, is the response you got with your Bioret. I I did not necessarily expect that for the diet those cattle were on. We've done some work here in Nebraska and seen some good results with, you know, using something like a distiller's grains. But I did not see, or I did not perceive that you'd see that kind of response just with the addition of some free nitrogen. You know, the the alternative is perhaps we could use urea, but I get really nervous about that. You know, in a self-fed situation, Bioret's much more safe uh, as a source of NPN than urea. And I, I just didn't want to create any potential situations of having toxicity enter into the equation. I think that's something to be done down the road. Uh, there's a lot of work. If you go to the Australian literature, a lot of the Australians have done uh, some work with the use of Bioret, making a home brew mix with inclusion of, of urea. But I wasn't quite as as courageous, if you will, to, to try to take that particular treatment on. As you look at the economics of this, and again, that's what it comes back to is what do we get for what we spent? How did that work out as you look at the additional value of gain that you picked up with this inclusion of Biuret in the mineral? And obviously you also had then the inclusion of the Bovitec, which didn't actually result in any additional benefit, but just with the additional of the Biuret, did that pay? No, it did not. Biuret is incredibly expensive. When it's all said and done with the Biuret and Bovitec included, I think we were adding about $400 a ton. And with a four ounce inclusion, I ran the numbers, the Biuret, and this is, this is two years of data that we got about 14 hundredths of a pound of gain. We intentionally, here's the other thing that we, we had to do is we put out a measured amount of the product once a week for the number of animals calculating four ounces per head per day. And we did that because we didn't want one treatment to run away with consumption compared to the others. That was really the, the challenge we had is how did we approach the provision of the product? So there was a period of time. And in some cases, that provision of the product lasted for about three or four days. And so for two or three days beyond that, Aaron, there was nothing in those mineral feeders because we were trying to keep that consumption as close to four ounces per head per day. And you wonder how many days without introduction of Bovitec into the room and before the bugs start to revert back, if that disrupts the effect that we want to see, the response, if that has an impact or not, I don't know. Yeah, that's. I think that's really important. I think this data, you can go find it in the 2023 Cattleman's Day Beef Report, but certainly some pretty uh, significant variability in terms of intake, especially as you get further into the season, averaging somewhere around that mineral being consumed within three days after being delivered, which as you well said, that means they're going three or four days without consuming it. And uh, yeah, that sure makes a difference. 
And, you know, many of our stalker operators uh, that are running grass, they're managing several hundred, if not thousands of calves on numerous locations. And, you know, mostly getting to see those calves once, if not maybe, maybe twice a week is at best they can do with everything else that's going on. So uh, it's not like you can go out there and monitor on a daily basis. And we tried to model that with, with the producer in mind is how can we do something to help them out uh, in terms of making the buy on what they use for a mineral and then, you know, whether or not there's a response to be seen with respect to this product or with what could be added to the mineral. Dr. Blasey, thanks for your time today. I, I really appreciate the research you've done because I think you've uh, brought about some questions that uh, producers are asking and trying to figure out how can we be more efficient? How can we be more effective with what we do? whether that's in a dry lot backgrounding scenario or out on grass. And I think these studies you've done just uh, provide producers with information that they can then use as they think about how do we make decisions, how we spend money, where we spend time and investment. So again, thanks for the research you've done. You bet, Aaron. Anytime you want to visit, I'm more than happy to sit in and visit. Well, for more information on the studies that we've talked about in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to contact Dr. Dale Blasey at Kansas State University. Again, the research we talked about is part of their 2023 Cattlemen's Day Beef Cattle Research Report, and that can be found online.